0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning, brothers and sisters in Christ. There we go. Good morning, everybody. So this morning, I'd like to begin this sermon by asking you to humor me for a bit. Humor me as I ask you to imagine something. Imagine for me, if you will, a typical Sunday morning. In fact, let's make it this Sunday morning. Imagine that it's this Sunday morning, and you wake up like many other Sundays in the past. Perhaps this Sunday, it, your hair is particularly difficult to comb through. Or, or maybe your child is being very difficult this morning. Or, or maybe this is one of those mornings where you can just barely keep your eyes open because it's just so hard this last week of work. You've been working really hard. You're tired. You're exhausted. The alarm goes off. But nevertheless, you wake up. You get yourself ready. Ready? And if you have a family, you get them ready too. And you come here, you come to this church, and you come and you begin to socialize a little bit. You slide into your pew, you socialize, catch up with some of the members here at Messiah, catching up on what may have happened during this past week. Then the service begins. And things go according to the way that they usually do. We share peace. We participate in the service. We receive communion. As the service wraps up, Some more socializing begins, and perhaps you even stay a little bit longer and you join in with the Bible study at the end of today's service where we discuss today's sermon. And then after this, after church is done, you you head on home and you begin to think maybe about the chores that you have to get done today. Maybe you're lucky enough where you've actually gotten all your chores done, and so you can just sit down, relax, and watch some football. Or maybe your child has a sporting event, and so you're gonna bring the whole family, you're gonna go and cheer them on and, and celebrate this event and cheer them as you go forward throughout your day. So, in other words, what I want you to do is just imagine that what you're doing is taking part in just another typical Sunday. What you're doing is you're just living a normal day in your life. And then all of a sudden, bam, out of nowhere this loud horn-like sound begins to blare. This sound, it's so loud it starts to shake the room and your ears begin to hurt because it's that loud. But you check your phone and there's no alarms going off. You look at the TV, but it's not even plugged in. It's not turned on. You know it's not the sirens that are going around, the tornado sirens, because this this horn-like sound doesn't sound anything like those tornado sirens. You can't figure out what the noise is. You don't know where it's coming from, but, but everyone else around you hears it too. You know it's not in your head. In fact, it's as though this, this noise was coming from the very sky itself, but just as suddenly as the noise came, it stops. The noise ends, and you look around with confusion. But that doesn't last long. It doesn't last long because the noise is shortly followed by a thundering boom. It's unmistakable. You know, you know what this is, even though you don't know how to explain it. You, you don't know how you know, but you do. You know that this new sound that you hear can only be one thing. God. It is the voice of God booming from the heavens itself for all to hear. And God gives one simple sentence and goes silent. All he says is this. Judgment is coming tomorrow. Judgment is coming tomorrow. Everyone's heard the same message, and you know exactly what is happening. Christ will be coming again tomorrow. He's going to be coming again to judge the whole earth, just as he had promised to do nearly 2,000 years ago. He is coming again, and he is coming tomorrow. And so this finally leads me to this question that I want to ask. What would you do? If Christ were coming to judge the earth tomorrow, and you knew this with 100% certainty, what would you do? How would you feel? Would you panic? Would you rejoice? Would you repent? And perhaps the most important question is this. Would you be ready Would you be ready or would you have to scramble to try and get things ready? Would you be ready or would you have to try and scramble to put your affairs and your house in orders? If Christ came tomorrow, would you already be ready today? I bring up this imaginative exercise because I think it really highlights the point that the gospel reading is trying to get at for today. And it's made all the more clear that this is the point when you put this passage into its proper context— To put this text into its context, we we learn that Christ tells this parable right in the middle of Holy Week. This means that at this point, Christ is in Jerusalem, and he knows the horrible crucifixion that soon awaits him. And so he knows that his time on earth is coming to an end, and and so because of this, he's beginning to prepare his disciples for his eventual death, but also his inevitable return. And if you go back one chapter in Matthew's Gospel... Going to chapter 24, you can clearly see what Christ is talking about. He says this, Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of the heavens to the other. Christ is talking about his second coming, when the horns would blast around the earth, when he would return in his full glory, when his church, meaning all of you here who are joined to Christ in faith, and all those around the world who are joined to Christ in faith, when all of his people will be brought together to celebrate with him in his glory. And so with the second coming in mind, it helps to set up the meaning of the parable the one that follows only a few verses later, the one that we read today for our gospel reading. In this parable, the one that we read, Christ is utilizing the imagery of the customs and practices of wedding celebrations that would have been understood by the disciples because they were commonly practiced in those days, and he uses the ceremony imagery to help explain what he wants his disciples to understand, but more importantly, the attitude he wants them to take. In this parable... Christ is the bridegroom. He's the one who the ten virgins are waiting for. And now the ten virgins, they're all members of the wedding party. They're all invited guests, and it's assumed that they're all going to be going to the wedding together. But things don't go according to plan. Five of them were not prepared. They didn't plan for the bridegroom to be late. I mean, they remembered to bring their lamp. They even brought some oil. They just didn't bring enough oil. And so, in other words, they just weren't prepared for the long delay of the bridegroom. And because they weren't prepared, they wound up having to try and scramble at that late hour to find oil when there were probably no shops even open at that time. And so, of course, as always happens, as they're out trying to get this oil, the bridegroom arrives. And so as he arrives, the five virgins who were prepared, they join in with him on his journey. And they go and enter the wedding feast, and they party it up and enjoy this festival, joyous celebration. But as for the five who were supposed to be there, but weren't, the five who weren't prepared, well, they weren't even allowed to enter. In fact, the bridegroom goes so far as to say that he didn't even know them. And as though this parable weren't explicit enough, As to what Jesus was trying to convey, he reiterates the essential message of this parable when he says this. He says, Therefore, keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. Keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. I think this can be a difficult parable for us to hear. It's not that the parable is hard to understand, rather, this is actually one of Christ's more simple parables to understand. Be ready at all times, because Christ may come at any time. Now, it's not difficult for us to hear because it's difficult to understand, but it's difficult to hear because we realize that Christ is directing this message at the invited people, at the ones who, who are already supposed to be a part of the wedding celebration. In other words, Christ is addressing this message to the church. And so in a very real sense, he is addressing this message To us. And he's telling us to keep watch. And it would be one thing if he was warning the pagans who don't even believe in Christ. Or maybe the fake Christians who profess to believe in God, but yet they don't even know who that God is. But the unshakable reality is that he's addressing the people who are already having the lamps, who already have the oil, who are already invited to the wedding. It makes it clear that when he does come... If you don't have enough oil, if you aren't ready for his arrival, if you aren't prepared, we know pretty well what happens. To put it mildly, we won't be partying with the bride and the bridegroom. And so let's just say this parable, knowing that it's addressed to those who are already a part of the wedding party, knowing that it's addressed to us, to the members of his church, it's safe to say that this parable is unsettling. And that's the point. Christ wants it to be unsettling. Christ wants it to be unsettling for this reason. He starkly warns us to be prepared because he wants us to be with him. It's a really important thing. Let me repeat this. He wants us to be prepared because he wants us to be with him. He wants us to be unsettled because he wants you to pursue your faith with vigor and zeal. He wants you to be unsettled because he wants you to work out your faith in fear and trembling. He wants you to be unsettled because he doesn't want you to become complacent in your faith, to become drowsy in his grace, to, to stop running the race before it's over. It's odd as it is, but if you, if you hear me on this one, I think you'll understand. The reason that Christ makes such a stark warning in this parable, it's really very akin to the way and the reason that a parent would discipline a child when they go out running into the road. The parent may yell at their child, maybe even give them a slap on the rear, but they do it because of their deep love for their child. Their desire... Is for their child to live and not die. That the parent disciplines their child because they love their child so dearly and want to be with them and not have them taken away prematurely. And so, similarly, Christ gives you this stark warning because he loves you so fully and dearly. Remember that this is a warning for his church. Keyword his you are his Christ has purchased you he has ransomed you and you are precious to him Christ wants you to be at his banquet feast he, he wants you to be partying and celebrating with him in his victory when he comes again in his glory he wants to be there with you in the new heaven and the new earth and living with him in this new creation for everlasting and for all eternity and we know how badly he desires this for you He desires this for you so greatly. He he loves you so dearly that he was willing to offer up his own life for you. And in fact, he did. He did offer up his life. Christ ransomed you on that cross with his own precious blood, purchasing you and claiming you as his own. And he doesn't want to lose what is precious to him because you are precious to him. But Christ doesn't want to lose you, which is why he reminds us that he will come at a time and at an hour that we do not know. It's not to frighten us, but to keep us prepared so that we can remain in him and join him at the wedding feast. And so once again, we return to the question that I asked in the opening imagination. Are you ready? Are you prepared? Every once in a while, it's, it's good to be reminded to ask the questions, am I ready? Am I prepared? Because unlike in the opening scenario, we aren't going to be so fortunate as to be given the period of a day, a warning period of when judgment will come. Now, God's not going to tell us when judgment is coming. It's just going to come. Truly, it will be in the twinkling of an eye at an hour and a time that we do not expect. And so we should be asking ourselves these questions. But not to drive ourselves away from God's grace. Not, not to cripple ourselves with fear and anxiety about trying to be good enough at every single moment to make sure that we're, we're, we're properly ready, that we are perfect for when Christ comes again. It's not a call to look so far inside of yourself that all you can see are the sins and the faults that we all carry. And so we become terrified about Christ's return. Now That's far from it. It's far from the truth. We ask these questions because we remember that we are already a part of the church. You are redeemed by Christ. You have been forgiven. You will be forgiven. Abundantly so. The purpose of asking these questions is so that we do not become so self-consumed about trying to be perfect, but rather that we are so confident that when the bridegroom does arrive we will be ready. We will be ready because we trust fully in him who's conquered all things. We'll be ready and prepared because we have our faith in him who has redeemed us fully and sufficiently. We ask these questions so that we will not be caught sleeping and our oil will not have run out. And we ask these questions so that when Christ does come again, we will have full confidence that we will be with him, that we will be with him at the wedding feast, We ask these questions so that when Christ does come without warning, when the trumpets do sound, we will rejoice. When we hear the sound of the horns, we will rejoice. When we see Christ coming in his glory, we will rejoice. We will rejoice because we know that through him who has conquered all things, through him who has accomplished all things, through him who has redeemed us fully, we know this truth that through him we are ready. And to that we say, Amen.